Did you know that the longest continuous wine route on earth is found in South Africa? This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacation, a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360. We have a podcast of lively banter about travel, lifestyle, and entertainment. I am your host, Michael Gordon-Bennett, and I am joined, as always, by my dear friend out there on Long Island in New York, Dave Cumberbatch. Davey, my friend, uh, the borders are open for international travel. Uh, I, I noticed my Expedia stock exploded through the roof the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, but you got to be vaccinated now. You got to well, show that card. I got mine. You you already know I have my. Actually, I'm actually uh, trying to get a booster shot next week. Um, oh man, you old man. Come yeah. On. Well, you know, I, I saw where Pfizer actually uh, made a recommendation to the CDC yesterday to go ahead and give booster shots to everybody, regardless of age. So, um, yeah, that that came out yesterday. So I I don't know if the CDC is going to approve it or not, but obviously they're saying go do it. So, uh, which is fine because as you well know, I'm going to Hawaii next month. Lucky you, man. Lucky you. Yeah, I'm yeah, going, yeah. I'm going to send to Stacious. Yeah, good luck with that. You ain't going there. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I should go sailing with uh, Bo and Brandy. How about that? Yeah, just don't get an 80-foot hole in your boat when you're going down to Grenada. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think um, St. Eustatius is where they docked, where they got the boat repaired after they yes. got stuck uh, out. In the, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just so the, those of you who uh, are listening don't know, uh, we have some good friends, Bo and Brandy, who have taken up the sailing lifestyle. They've been at sea for five, six years now. They've primarily been in the Caribbean. And about two or three years ago, they got stuck in a pretty bad storm somewhere off the coast of Grenada, maybe 40, 50 miles away. Yeah. And come to find out they had about a 20-foot hole in the hull of their boat, and it was sinking. And somehow or another, some good old folks uh, out in the Caribbean heard their mayday and rescued them, pulled their boat to St. Eustatius. And they have been, they're actually heroes in St. Eustatius. Now, not only the people who rescued them, but the um, uh, Bo and Brandy themselves. So that's pretty cool. Um, and actually, we, we have, yeah, we have their video on our website, by the way. Yeah, they have, they had the blast of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so that's your that's your holiday plans. A, a, a fake trip to St. Eustatius with a virtual background. Or maybe I'll stay here and have dinner at some expensive restaurant with Jamie. How about that? Well, that means you robbed the bank, which is not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that means you robbed somebody because your ass ain't got no money. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So. I'm looking forward to Hawaii going the uh, day after Christmas and going to yeah. spend a week. We actually land back in Vegas on New Year's night just before midnight. You know what midnight oh. lights like in Las Vegas? Crazy. Because, because, yeah, because the strip is closed down. Uh, they usually close it at 6 uh, p.m. Right. in the evening and they close it all night long. So I will be actually driving home from the airport while the people are going nuts on the strip. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> unless okay. our plane is delayed and then we wind up having to you know watch the uh, fireworks in the air but anyway uh so that's my thing and yeah travel is uh back uh going to be curious to see what it's going to do to the economies I, i've seen that i saw the unemployment statistics a couple of days ago it looks like um the uh hospitality industry has seen this huge surge in in uh employment numbers so i guess that's a good thing well i guess folks are have decided to go back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, for them little pittance of a salary they get, but that's a story for another day. Anyway, we've got a guest sitting here waiting in the wings, and she's been patiently waiting. She hasn't even laughed at my joke yet, which is a good thing. Most people, most people are laughing and they give it away. But uh, before we get on to today's topic, uh, housekeeping notes, as I say at the top of every show, the TripCast 360 podcast is available wherever you get your podcast, Apple, um, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much every platform, we're on it. But the best place to catch it is TripCast360.com on our website. We post a episode each and every Monday. And just so you'll know, the day, uh, the Thanksgiving week will not be a new episode. And neither will we have a new episode the week of Christmas. We are going to take a couple of days off. As you heard, I'm going to Hawaii. And while Dave was kidding about St. Eustatius, he is going away as well. So we're going to uh, kind of take a little breather uh, for that. So 
Uh, invite your friends, subscribe, share, like, follow. You know what to do. Um, hit us up if you have any uh, show suggestions. Uh, you can just drop us an email at contactatripcast360.com. And, you know, we, we pretty much will go along with anything as long as it has something to do with travel, lifestyle, and entertainment. And we usually try to figure out a way to blend that travel angle into everything we do. We've had comedians on. We've had a couple comedians on. We've had authors, uh, cookbook authors. We've had foodies, restaurateurs. Uh, what the hell else? We had tour operators, uh, destinations themselves. We pretty much run the gamut. We've also had a general who's extremely serious in television, and he had us laughing. <laughs> he had us laughing our asses off. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you don't think General Russell Honore has a sense of humor, you need to listen to that podcast because he's funny as hell. He, he could be serious for a three-star general, but he's funny. So, uh, yeah, so we, we pretty much, you know, uh, we've had we've had musicians on the show. Uh, we've had some actors and actresses on the show. So, yeah, don't hesitate. Uh, I, I think the thing I'm looking for next is a sports personality who loves to travel because, you know, at the end of the day, travel affects our lives more than most of us care to. Yeah, really realize. So it, it's good to have all these diverse opinions and listen to other people. So uh, Dave, we've got some social media stuff they can follow us on too. That's right, Michael. You know, we love our social media friends and want to keep them up to date. And we got friends. All the great. Oh. <laughs> Just asking. And all the great things, all the great things that are happening on Tri- Tripcast 360. Uh, we excited to announce that in addition to our user-friendly website, tripcast360.com. We have profiles on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and soon we'll be on YouTube. And at Tripcast360, we share information and updates regularly, including photos, videos, travel news, and much, much more. So check us out. We love it. And you will as well. There you go. Well, we've got this lady sitting here patiently waiting in the wings. Like I said, she didn't laugh at my jokes. So I guess she's okay. Uh, we could see her, but you can't. Ha. Anyway, um, <laughs> she's a fiction author, a podcaster, a lifestyle journalist. Her published works have appeared in Travel Advisor, The New York Times, Essence, Lonely Planet, Forbes, and Insider, to name just a few. Believe me, that's just a few. She's pretty much written for everybody. She's a published author and a marketer for some of the world's top brands like Ralph Lauren and Blue Fly. Her podcast, Love and Passport, if I'm not mistaken, is slated to return pretty soon. Uh, her name is Dana Givens, and she has a love for different cultures and countries and 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 of the like. So uh, today we have Dana on our show because she's going to talk about a place that neither Dave nor I have been to. It is South, South Africa. Africa. Dana, Dana, Dana. Okay, I see that virtual background in Jamaica, but you that's not South Africa, girl. <laughs> I said, I'm trying to invoke <laughs> Jamaica right now. So that's what the vibes I'm bringing to this interview. We're gonna we're gonna invoke it since you know Newark ain't exactly the Caribbean, but we're gonna bring that energy today. Ah, uh, good old oh, Newark. Your background. Well, what what what's your weather like in Newark compared to Jamaica? It's not as warm as I would like, you know. Um, I would much rather, you know, be able to wear some shorts and stuff. But, you know, it's okay. One more month. You mean like the ones I have on right now? Uh, you know, he, he's been bragging about his good West Coast weather. And David, I've been sitting in the back, like, just like... Why you keep attacking us? Well, wait a minute. You just said one more month. You going somewhere next month that we don't know about? I'm going to make it for vacation. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I get the evoking part then. <laughs> hey, Dana, um, your bio speaks a lot, says a whole lot. But uh, I read where you said that you've you've always had an interest in exploring different cultures and countries. Where did that appetite come from? Just growing up in New York, I was always exposed to other cultures. Like my mom working in healthcare, she used to do a lot of community outreach. And when I went with her, we honestly went to just different neighborhoods, different boroughs. So I was always interacting with different people. And I was always just a kid that was just really involved in extracurricular activities. Like I was meeting different people through my music programs, through my writing programs. So it was always normal for me. I didn't realize it wasn't normal until I left New York. I went to school in Connecticut for four years and an environment that was not as diverse. And that's when I realized how unique my upbringing was. And with writing, that was always a form of expression for me. So 
I kind of just used it to express like how I wanted to learn about these cultures, what I was doing in myself studying. Like during undergrad, I actually studied global studies. So I was studying religion. I was studying international politics and relations always was of interest to me. So I was really lucky when I started entering journalism. I would say just because I had an opportunity early on to kind of show my stuff. And from there, I just kept going. So yeah, it was it was nice to use that knowledge and that passion for something like, oh, I can actually use this to build a career. Because before I didn't know, I thought I was going to be honestly in more government diplomacy and things like that. Doesn't that stink though? Because I I have a degree in journalism as well, and you know I, I remember when I was getting my undergrad, they said, "Yeah, and, and you have to take a minor in something." Well, when I looked at the minor, I yeah. think most of them were, <laughs> you know, po- po- political related or government related, and it's like I have interests other than politics and government. Why can't I pick a minor in sports or psychology or something? But no, they they had like four or five minors that they allowed you to pick from, and that was it. It was similar with us. So I went to business school, actually, um, for my undergrad. So I needed like some humanities, I feel like, just from economics all the time and finance. So it was great for me to kind of channel just another area I was good at. And then I'm actually currently um, in school to get my master's and I'm getting my master's in journalism at NYU. That's great. Great school. Great school, by the way. Great program. Your portfolio lists uh, two of your favorite travel places. One was Mexico. And your second choice, you said, was South Africa. Um, And that's what we'll talk about today. We'll speak about its food and culture, you know, history and so on. But uh, give us a sort of like a 360 view of South Africa. And I know Michael would perhaps dig a bit deeper um, into the cities and the cultures, et cetera. But just give us a brief 360 of South Africa. Sure. So, like... I spent two weeks in South Africa and I spent that time between Johannesburg, Durban and Cape Town. And what I loved about it. So I went for work and um, it was in honor of Nelson Mandela's centenary. They were doing a big project and they brought a bunch of us from the media out here to commemorate his legacy and essentially take us all to the country to learn about him. And it was illuminating because it's, So South Africa, at least in my experience, is the one country in America we're taught anything about. And that's mostly because of apartheid and Nelson Mandela. So from the American standpoint, it was like the vaguely the only country I knew, at least from my education in terms of school, not my like, you know, self-study. So I feel like I had a bunch of exceptions. Like I knew, you know, this legacy and da da da. And then when I went there, I felt like, no, I didn't know anything. It's a very vibrant culture. It's more, it's really diverse in terms of, I know we think what we see in America, but it was way more diverse than even I originally thought it was. You had, you know, Indians, you had mixed race, you had, and then, you know, they have their own classifications. You have the coloreds and the different, of course, local ethnicities there. So that brought a similar energy, like I kept hearing people compare it to like the United States when it comes to other countries in Africa. And I understood that from their geopolitical standpoint, learning about Nelson Mandela and like just their political history, there is a lot of similarities. But then at the same time, these mix of cultures just created something really vibrant, really unique. Like I love Johannesburg. I always say, like, I really hope I get to go back very, very soon. And I want to spend more of my trip in Johannesburg. The vibrancy, the food, the people, it is so pro-Black. I, I just, I love the energy. And then the artist community, um, Mobeneg um, Present, it's, it's a vibe. Durban has another energy. It's more beachy. They have a very big Indian community, and that's in their food scene. And Cape Town is probably one of the most picturesque places I've ever seen. Like, I took many pictures. I have a professional camera, and I feel I still feel like it doesn't do it justice. That's how pretty that city is. So, yeah, I hope that was a good 360 for you. I gave you a lot. <laughs> no, no, it, it actually is good. I was, was actually going to. I was actually going to ask you. You know, you were talking about the mix of cultures and, and the diversity. Um, I, I guess there's no other sweet way to ask this question, but 
how do they all interact with one another? You know, we've obviously got issues here in the United States in some places where we don't interact all too well with each other. Uh, is that true of South Africa as well? From what I saw, yeah, because they have also that tension from apartheid. Of course, there's still that lingering is that them as a country is still, you know, working to move past. Like you learned that, you know, was it eight um, white South Africans own about 80 percent of the wealth in most of these major regions. And it can bother you from an outside point as a black American coming in. You're like, I'm in an African country. Why are the only people that I see in with wealth? at least when it came to certain towns. I feel I didn't feel this way so much in Johannesburg, but definitely in Durban and Cape Town. It feel like wealth was definitely concentrated in more of the white residents. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of uncomfortable because you're like, this doesn't feel right. So, mm-hmm. and then you have other cultures who have, like, I believe the Indian population has a very, very, very long history there. Yeah. Um, Durban, if I'm not mistaken, um, I did research... They had the largest Indian community, I believe, outside of India. And that's really, really, like I said, ingrained in the culture. You see it in um, like just even the mixtures, like there's biryani places everywhere. Like it's it's very ingrained, but also mixed in with like the South African culture. So I feel like that's why for Americans, at least, especially for Americans that are, I would say, haven't maybe been to the African continent, like any country, I always felt like it was a great starter just because it was something that we can see a lot of parallels in terms of understanding their history. And I feel like it was a little easier to like go off in terms of like setting off your itinerary. Nice. Um, You had mentioned, uh, I'm going to go back to Johannesburg, but uh, the reason I'm going back there is I'm not a foodie. I just eat well. Uh, Dave's to cook between the two of us because I sure as hell don't cook. If it wasn't for my girlfriend, I probably would starve or I'd eat out every night and get fat as hell. Um, <laughs> um, give us a, a, a flavor of the cuisine that is in Johannesburg. I re- recognize that you just said it's different pretty much where, depending on what destination you go, but you said it was more pro-Black. What, give us the idea of the taste and the cuisine of Johannesburg. Sure. So when I mean even pro-Black, I mean, like, you just, it's just something about the city that just, like, really is proud when it comes to presenting that Blackness. I personally didn't have that experience in Cape Town. And like I said, Durban had another cultural makeup. But in Johannesburg, that's where you see that real, like, pride shine. But it's still very diverse. Like, I had, I was by, like, Lebanese restaurants. I found even, like, a really great Ethiopian restaurant um, by there. I stopped in. But then you have their um, barbecue, um, probably going to butcher their name. I think it's Bry. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. But it's very, very good. That's like their comfort barbecue food. And it's delicious. But co- like culinary wise, I feel like you can sample everything, but still get like their local, um, like their local foods. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely you can have your pick of the litter. It's, it's a great foodie city, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of stories about the number of high-end restaurants that are in Johannesburg. There, there are some, you know, if you're into Michelin star ratings, there's some top-rated Michelin star oh, yes. restaurants. I, I think Jamie, Dave, if I'm not mistaken, mentioned Johannesburg uh, as one of the places that she had gone to that had one of those top-end restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I didn't know about the barbecue. Now we talk in my language. Ooh, let me tell you, I was falling in love with the barbecue out there. Like they can definitely come with us in the south. You know, it's my family from, so it's just like they can they can compete with us in here, come with the cookout. But no, Johannesburg is such a great city for food. Cape Town is too. I say Cape Town. It reminded me a lot of New York um, in terms of their restaurant scene. They had a lot of, especially like great bars and lots of. I would say like. Very Instagrammy, you know, you mm-hmm. know, that's the yeah. thing in terms of restaurants and their decor. It was very, very much like I would say more in terms of like luxury. Like they had a lot of that in Cape Town, whereas Johannesburg had a lot of luxury, too. Like the first night we went to the steakhouse, that was just a freaking amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, was just, it was a great way to start off that trip. And but they have, I feel like, more of a mix of like all levels where right. it was just. There's great street food, there's great mid-level food, and then there's great, like, high-end stuff. 
Got it. Hey, I want to know something. Uh, uh, when, when Dave and I, I think it was Curacao, Dave, they had a signature drink. It was an avocado martini or something like that. Does South Africa yeah. have a signature drink? And Dave calls it a double beverage. I'm just going to call it what it is. It's some damn alcohol, okay? <laughs> so the, I don't know. I can't remember like a spirit that was that we had out there that was in terms of, but just being in South Africa, the wine. Okay. The wine yeah. is just a lot of wine because it's vineyards galore. I remember struggling back with, I kid you not, like four or five bottles of wine on my plane. I was just determined. I was like, they're going to come back with me. So we're going to figure this out together. Like TSA, I'm like, we're going to figure this out together because we're just coming with me. But I drink an ungodly amount of wine. Yeah, I was I just going to ask you, how much, of, how, how much of it did you intake? <laughs> it wasn't, like I said, it was... Uh, it was a healthy amount. <laughs> well, and, I guess, the, well, they got some of the best vineyards in the world in South Africa. Yes, yes. That's, and then it's because of their access, it's very, very inexpensive. Well, first of all, just from an American standpoint, um, the Rand, um, when I went, it was like 17 Rand to a dollar. So your money went very, very, very far. And then wine overall isn't that highly priced just because it's produced there. So, I mean, especially in um, wine regions, especially when you get closer to Cape Town, Durban had like some on the outskirts, you are just like drinking wine and sampling all these different homemade wines. And it's just amazing. Like every restaurant we went to had an amazing wine menu. With um, Johannesburg being the largest urban area in the country or urban city in the country. Mm -hmm. How about do the cultures blend? And um, does that blend? I would imagine it's a blend, not just of, of uh, the cultures, but blend of the food as well. I felt it was, I felt it definitely showed because they were, it's, it felt like to me they were very much still within their culture, even in like, I guess you can say the things we saw, like the Western eyes, I guess you can say, but yeah. it still felt very much like their culture. Um, you saw like familiar brands, of course, like, you know, I took trips in the malls and walked around the downtown mm -hmm. area, but it still felt very much like an African city. Honestly, it, they had their own vibe, their own aesthetic, their own ambiance, but it was cool to see it in this backdrop, I guess I would say. Okay. What U.S. city would you say it compares to? I mean, here in New York City, mm. you know, we have we have a Caribbean area, we have an Italian area, we have, you know, we tend to we tend to gravitate maybe because of language and culture, but we tend to gravitate to our own spaces. Mm. Is it sort of like New York City? I want to say. I'm trying to think. I feel like New York's a good example. Actually, yeah, I would say it's a good New York because I felt Durban was Miami, but especially like 90s vibe Miami. And then I felt Cape Town had a more uh, hints of LA vibe. I felt more San Francisco vibes, honestly. It reminded me when I went to Cape Town, it reminded me when I went to San Francisco for the first time when I was a teenager. I remember thinking San Francisco was like one of the most beautiful cities I ever went to, honestly. <laughs> when I, I, I honestly always loved it. Just the makeup, just the culture, the vibes. I felt Cape Town invoked a lot of that in terms of aesthetic and even in the culture. And I was at Johannesburg. I think it's pretty fair to have comparisons to New York. I'm trying to think of other cities, but I feel like New York may be the best comparison in terms of culture, arts, and honestly, I would say, yeah, the food scene. I would say, yeah. Nice. Um, from a tourist perspective, uh, what did you get a chance to do? Set the food scene aside for a minute. What did you get a chance to do? Or what would you recommend uh, as you come into Johannesburg to go see and do there? There's a lot. To, honestly, I would give yourself. If you're, depending on how long you have, let's say you want to break it up to other things. One thing I would have, if I had the chance to do differently, I would have definitely extended my time in Johannesburg. There's a lot to do. It's it's a city. So you have beyond the restaurant scene, 
It has a very lively, you know, bar and lounge scene. Like the nightlife scene is very, very fun. It's energetic. You also have a great art scene. Like Mobenig, I think I mentioned before, has beautiful murals like all over the place. Um, I took a, a like an art tour, like a street art tour. I would really recommend it because it was a great way also to like kind of cover all like uh, the main attractions in the city and points of interest. And it was like the art and the, the artist you meet, like it was really, really great to indulge in that. I always, I honestly personally wish that I had more time to explore the art side. So I said in my next trip, now, I'm already said there's definitely going to be a next trip. I would love to dive in more to the art scene. You talked about Durban. You mentioned Durban just now. And I read where Durban is known for its beaches and its mountains and its savannas. Um, is that why Durban is so, you're, you're so attracted to Durban? I would say Durban had more of a laid back um, type of atmosphere. It wasn't as an energetic as okay. definitely it did not have the energy of Johannesburg. That's why I said it it reminded me more of like Miami Vice. Like kind right. of like that late 80s and 90s in terms of like that soundtrack in my head <laughs> when I was like driving. <laughs> like their beaches, they're not like laid out beaches, honestly. They're they're pretty rough waves. So if you're not like a really strong oh. swimmer or like surfing, I remember there's one friend I think that tried to do the beach and they told her like, yeah, there was a shark out there. So I don't think you wanna no, no, no. go out there, but <laughs> Durban just had a more relaxed vibe. It's definitely was something that if you wanted to see another side and take a slower pace, like I did things like go to like the botanical garden. Nice. Like I said, great Indian food. And as a big fan of Indian food, I had, I just went to different restaurants and they had like just different also like other just small cafes and stuff to browse through. But I would say if you're looking more for like that, party scene and especially more young people you def that's more johannesburg but Durban was a very great vacation (laughs) (laughs) i'm going back to my roots i'm going back to my roots miami (laughs) vice man (laughs) you're talking about beaches and the beaches you know you said the beaches are pretty rough in terms of the water michael would take any beach he lives in vegas the only water michael sees in vegas is lake mead I don't, even, to go I to don't even see that. Listen, it's <laughs> still a great go- place to take a walk on the beach. Like it's very <laughs> picturesque. It's very so you can still enjoy the city. I'm just saying, you know, you just may not be able to swim in it. <laughs> well, well, I, I just I saw that they they have um, shark nets along the beach in Durban mm-hmm. uh, to protect the. For those people who do not know, the tip of South Africa is the uh, one of the world's uh, hot spots for sharks. Especially yeah. great white sharks, because where the Indian Ocean meets the the Atlantic in that area down there, the waters for, are, are attractive to sharks. And if you ever watch all those shows on National Geographic and the Discovery Channel about Shark Week, they are always in South Africa. Um, when I was a producer at the Travel Channel, I, our co-host for our TV show was from South Africa. She went diving with the sharks in one of those big shark cages. And she she swore up and now she'd never do it again. I'll be damned if Ecuador did not get back in the water a week later and did it again. Um, she was just like awestruck. But yeah, those beaches down there are, I think you're right. I think the the roughness of the water doesn't kind of lend itself to being able to just go out there and swim all the time. But another thing that Durban is known for is surfing. Yes, it was a very, very big, like that's honestly most of the, um, when you did see people on the beach, if they're not just walking, that's mm-hmm. what they were doing. The very, very big surfing culture. Like that's where honestly, when they even, at least, especially where um, our hotel was, they were saying like this beach in particular was very popular for some surfers. So I would say you're going to see more of that adventure type on the water on that side. Mm-hmm. Now, Cape Town, that's where you're going to see more of like the sunbathing and more of just like, okay, it's chilling on the beach. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because Durban, Durban kind of impresses me. In, in some respects, it kind of reminds me of some of the shorelines along. I mean, even though it's got that Miami vibe feel to it, and even a little bit of the Art Deco buildings uh, in Durban, mm-hmm. I think in terms like if you go like a little bit inland, it kind of reminds me of some of the beaches in Southern California where there's always hills and mountains and stuff nearby. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking, even um, maybe even San Jose, like those I guess areas in a mm-hmm. way. Um, from my recollection, when I went out there, it reminded me of those more beaches. And I remember they weren't more for swimming. 
You know yeah. what I mean? They're like, you know, you people walk and stuff. I think maybe you saw like, you know, a couple of surfers and stuff, but you weren't really swimming in them, but they were still like very, very beautiful. Like it was great yeah. to watch like the sunset, like have walks and things like that. Like great ambiance. And let me tell you that water up there where you're talking about in Northern California, like Monterey and Pebble Beach and in San Jose, that water is cold. Mm-hmm. People think, you know, I grew up in Florida. So I spent most of my childhood in Florida. And, you know, I, I got used to walking because of the Gulf of Mexico and it was 80 degrees in the dead of winter. Not here. This, this temperature in this water is in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I think Durban is kind of the same way. Yeah, it was yeah. it was honestly the same way. Like the, like the way they described where I was like, I'll stick to the pool. <laughs> I, like, I, don't think I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> well, did you at least walk on the beach? Oh yes, I definitely oh, okay. spent time walking on the beach. We the when I was in Durban, we were there for a conference, so that's where uh, a good portion of of our stay was. Mm-hmm. So the first hotel was more by the beach. I would say where it's like more surfers, and it was by like a strip. Because they had, they also had like little casinos and stuff. That's why I also, it was like a mix between like, think Vegas vibes in terms of like that casino, like they had those hotels, but it was in like a, a Miami aesthetic. Yeah. And then the second hotel I went to was more luxury, but there, where they were was more on like, I like rock formations. It was more rocky, but the view was amazing. It's like, that was the kind of beach you kind of just want to wake up early in the morning and just walk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just walk and sunrise. The waves were a little, a little calmer, but it still wasn't swimming wise. But the beach definitely changed in terms of that end was just like immaculate. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, can't, I can't, I can't let Dave get in the water. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, sh- 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 sharks, sharks like him. <laughs> But you were there for, oh, you don't want me to talk about my shark experience in the Bahamas. Never again. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what got in my head, but I did it. Never again would I do the shark experience. But um, as, uh, in reference to South Africa, you were there for a short period of time. But did you get a chance to do any of the events or festivals? I understand there are a number of festivals and events there, mainly based on their on the colonial past. That's what I read. During that time, there wasn't. So also like temperature wise, I was going into their, their winter. Okay. So that's also keep in mind. I think that was a big, cause it was like just generally slower. And even they told me like, yeah, it's kind of slower. Like right now they're kind of going up because this is their summer. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that was a big thing, but we were there for a conference. That was kind of the main thing. There wasn't any other events when I went. I'm looking for you to tell me that you were wearing a costume and, you know, and all that stuff. And you've got all these fantastic pictures. (laughs) Well, we definitely, I would say this, we learned the meaning behind those things. Like I definitely had a lot of interactions with people in terms of teaching us the meanings behind why they wear certain things, styles, even braiding styles. It was really interesting to know because we see some of these styles, but we really yeah. don't know like the true meaning, even how they're tied to very particular ethnic groups. So that was really interesting. But in terms of style, let me tell you something. They got a nice, they got a street style just like we do. Okay. Like they, they come in correct. So they definitely have a very unique style that matches contemporary like designers there. Like nice. they have a, a really I have found that really cool. They had a really cool like indie fashion scene with just a lot of local designers that mixed that like traditional, sometimes African prints or styles, but then yeah. still brought in like that chicness that we see from like European brands. Like they the definitely got a style out there. Um, I, I, I hate to be stuck on food again, but Durban is on the water. Was there some good seafood places around there? Listen, food is what I do, so we can always talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just asking for a couple thousand of my friends, you know? <laughs> you know, food is what I do. But there was some great seafood out there. Um, I would say besides the seafood, they so their Indian food is not what we like are used to. Mm-hmm. They have kind of like their own, I would say, unique blend on it that's very... They call it Durban Indian food, like um, like specifically because it's not like even like northern or southern like Indian cuisine or things like that. So like their main thing you'll see everywhere is bunny chow. 
if you've seen probably anything about, honestly, South Africa, especially in the food realm, you probably have seen it. It's this giant, like, thing made out of bread, and then in it is curry. It's it's very oh, full. I, I don't know, know how people eat it all, to be honest <laughs> with you. It's, it has all these spices. It has rice, it has curry, it has meats, and it's all in this bread, and it's in naan, and it's, it's just the most fulfilling thing ever. But you find it everywhere and every place you know tries to outdo everybody else like we have the best money child no we have the best money child so that's a big thing even the biryani if you're someone that does eat a lot of indian food you'll notice right away the biryani does not mm-hmm. it yeah. has it actually has a lot of like i would say the spices you would taste in their local cuisine like south african cuisine so it's like really unique it's not like i would say like other food you would get out and right. then on top of that, you still have like, you do have like seafood. There was a number of seafood places I went to that had like fresh catches, you know, fresh lobster and things like that. But it's a mix between, I would say, definitely that unique blend of Indian food, um, lots of barbecue. They still had, they also had a lot of braai and then they had. Um, wow. There's a guy who has a television show. I don't remember the name of the show, but he travels and it's, it seems as though he finds the worst food to eat. You know? <laughs> have, you, have you had any of the experiences, not that the food is bad, but food that we are not used to? And can you share one of those experiences if you had any of them like that? In South Africa? Yeah, or did you stick to the traditional American style food? Honestly, I'm trying to think. I didn't see anything that unusual. I Okay. I, I'm pretty decent when it comes to venturing. <laughs> my my two laws are I don't like feet. I don't like nobody's feet on my plate. I'm southern, so we have pig's feet and all that. I don't want that. I want no you one's feet no on my feet? plate. I want no one's feet on my plate. Uh, that's thank my you. rule. Thank you very <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I, I got a few other things not a lot on my plate too, but feed is one of them. <laughs> I, you know, that's just my hard, hard no right there. And then I, I don't like it if it looks like it can look at me. Like I, there's some dishes. <laughs> here we are. There's some dishes that you know the head's still on. It looks like it, it just I'm not like I, I just I'm like, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But in terms of like a palate. I'm very open stuff, like, in terms of eating other meats, like I've eaten and goat, all that uh, stuff. They didn't, they didn't have anything, honestly, that out the ordinary that I was exposed to. I saw goat meats, but I don't, I mean, you can go in the Caribbean and get goat meat. You know what I mean? I didn't feel yeah. it was that out the, out the way. I would just say, from the American standpoint, yeah, we're maybe not used to the goat and maybe lamb as much, especially depending on where you are, but. I feel like in terms of the palate, it's definitely, that was another reason I feel like even for Americans, if you're planning like your first trip to the continent, you may be, you know, trying a country. I, I felt like that was another reason South Africa was good for like your first time because palate wise, I, I feel like it, it was not as like intimidating. I've been to some countries where it was intimidating and, you know, you're trying to come open mind, but you're like, what? no, you have to. <laughs> You have to embrace yourself in the culture, you know? We had um we had a podcast guest. I think it was Jamie Michael. And I think it was in Croatia. They had they had beer paw. B-E-A-R paw. P <laughs> I understand that's unusual, and, 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 and it wasn't a sweet that the bear claws you get at the at the the, uh, the bakery either. This was real bear. Bear paw. <laughs> you have to embrace yourself in the culture, you know, look, uh, Dana. <laughs> look, if I got if I put something in it in my mouth and it tastes me back, it's the wrong thing that's in my mouth. <laughs> so you don't like steppers? What we call steppers? No, <laughs> nope. It, it, I, I, there's no feet on my plate, and I don't put nothing in my mouth. I don't put nothing in my mouth that can lick me back. <laughs> that's, that's really it i'll i'll try it once you know i'm open but those are my hard limits my most adventurous i would say place not to get too on topic just quick was china and just a quick okay. story i tried i want to hear that experience now yeah i tried pigeon ah oh and you know just from in new york david i think you we could get this it's like my yeah. wrapping my mind around eating uh-huh. a pigeon 
took a lot of work at first <laughs> because I'm a New Yorker. So I'm like, wait. However, we went, I remember it was in Neijing. It was like a late night. We were getting food and we found this place, really, really cute place. And they just kind of like closed it for us and just put on music. And we're like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we started having appetizers and she said, oh, I want you to try this. And I saw bacon wrap. So I was like, okay, this looks safe. And she says, bacon wrapped pigeon. So I'm like, oh, okay. But it's wrapped in butter. So, you know, we're going to try it. It was delicious. Wow. Yeah, I know. Plot twist. It was, it was delicious. They're very meaty birds. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I, I would. Uh, all the pigeons I've seen in my life, I, I guess I never thought about that. But you're right; they are pretty meaty. The only thing I know about it every time I go to Atlantic City, one of them poops on my shirt, um, <laughs> which happened the last time I was in Atlantic City. <laughs> That's then, what I mean. <laughs> but then let's let's talk about shopping. I love to shop. What what is shopping like in South Africa? I would I. I'm taking a guess here that Johannesburg would be the place to shop. Is it very expensive there? What is the taste like there? Johannesburg and Cape Town, I would say equally. From yeah. maybe different reasons, but both of them are amazing to shop in. Johannesburg has all the major stores we have, but also I would say like European brands that we don't see here and like, you know, brands that foreign brands that we don't um, see here, plus their local brands. Like mm-hmm. I said, that style, it like I loved shopping there, honestly, whether it was clothes in Cape Town, they have um this really wide market that's really well known that people go to and you can buy all kinds of beautiful handmade stuff, whether it's jewelry, mm-hmm. um, just things for your home, art pieces, lots of cute things for your house, like um just home decor. You can get these beautiful African fabrics for scars and to make it look like the shopping is amazing. And then, like I said, for um, American travelers, our dollar goes really far. So it's it's really good for shoppers, honestly. It's like I bought a considerable, <laughs> a considerable amount of things home because it was just like a playground. Like style is great. So you're shopping in clothes, but then you have all these really unique, things that you want to take back. Like I bought several pieces of jewelry. I bought so much like um, cloths back for scarves, but shopping, it's an amazing destination for shopping, hands down. And the pricing is good. Very good. Well, so se- like, 17 to the US dollar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, like I've always told like if you can get over the flight, you because know, really the most expensive thing is the flight. Because yeah. even when you find hotels, it's very easy to find a very, very luxury hotel for, you know, like I would say a mid-level price. Um, I know a lot of friends who have spent, um, who have worked out there actually a long time said their Airbnbs are very, very good. You can find a, a very, very luxury Airbnb for a very good price because of the exchange rate. So come there with a lot of money because you're going to want to spend. There's just going to be a lot of just shopping you're going to see a lot of stuff you want. So just have that open mind and just be ready. From a, from a logistical standpoint, how long of a flight was it from New York to, to Johannesburg? 16 hours. Uh, wow. Did you have to stop anywhere? No, I took nonstop. From nonstop, wow. mm-hmm. and, and it took you to Johannesburg, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay, I guess that little seven-hour flight I got from here to Maui is not so bad. <laughs> Definitely not. But but and, and this is one of the things I tell people. You know, um, when I was I I'm a military vet myself. I spent some time in San Antonio, and I went to um, Korea, and I was on the plane for 18 and a half hours. And there is nothing like being on a plane for 18 hours when you're six foot five and your knees are all in your chest and you're walking up and down. The, I, I, let me put it to you this way. There was a bunch of military people on the plane. We were on that plane for so long, they ran out of beer. <laughs> we, we drank it all. <laughs> the pilot actually came back and he was laughing at us. And we actually tried to talk him in the landing somewhere so we can get some more. He said, we're over the Pacific. I said, oh, <laughs> that's all I can say. I didn't know what to say to the guy. That but was yeah. the first real, that was, well, not the first, because within that time period, actually, like a, three weeks before my trip, I went to China. 
So before then I had a 12 hour flight and that was my first time doing something over 10 hours. Okay. And then I had this trip and it was 16 and I thought, I feel like I can do it. I survived China. No, I feel like I went to sleep. I woke up, I watched movies. There is times I feel like, okay, I know when I wake up, it's going to be like an hour left and it's six. And I'm like, am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to like, it's definitely the first time. And I was an economy. So it, it was rough. Right. It was rough. I didn't have the greatest seat. So yeah, it's definitely, if you're not used to flights, you definitely like getting up and like, like you said, like the, the wine ran out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was because that was still like my first time doing long, like a such long a long flight. flight. Yeah. It was, it was definitely intense. But then when I felt like when I went back, cause I caught a red eye, it was like this. Honestly, I feel like mm-hmm. I got through one movie and I just knocked out. And next thing I know, they're like, we're landing. And I'm like, wow, it wasn't like this when I came here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I think, too, from a time zone change standpoint, it was probably harder on you to go to China than it was to go to South Africa because you're actually flying oh, yeah. north to south and you're not that far removed from New York City time. I mean, you're, yeah, you're still four or five hours, but it's not, you know. When I was in Korea, I think it was 17 hours plus a day. Yeah. And I, and I remember I, I was um, I went over there to teach the Koreans computer classes. Two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm standing at the chalkboard and my arm went like this. Just I just fell asleep standing on my feet. My boss reached up and grabbed me under my arm and sat me in a chair. I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah, what, I felt that yeah. was the easier thing about South Africa, where at least I didn't have, like you said, that big i feel like it was comparable to like europe you know what i mean like you sleep a few hours you can at least bounce back right, right away whereas i felt like when i went to china when i came back i feel like i didn't know what day it was for at least a good two days I, wow. I just did not have a sense because i went through so many different time zones yep. that by the time i got back i was like what day is it because i feel like i left three <laughs> days ago but it's actually one so in terms of time zone, it's definitely easier. I would, I just always caution people when you just like, you know, prepare yourself for the ride because it is a long flight. Um, it's very easy. And most honestly, flights are nonstop, at least if you're leaving from New York. I know a lot of places actually along the East Coast, they had a lot of nonstop, I believe, routes mm-hmm. um, to Johannesburg. So it's, it's usually that's people's go to just because I don't think the layovers are usually pretty terrible just because they're always in places where it's either super long overnight. So I just tell people, like, listen, just, just get it over if and do the nonstop if you have that option. Yeah. Cause I, I know uh, one of our other frequent guests, Catherine, she went from, she went to Kenya out of New York, but she had to stop in Dubai first. Mm-hmm. And then she also went to the Maldives about two months ago. She also had to stop in Dubai there as well. And, and her flight was equally as long as hers, but she had layovers. You didn't have one. You just kept going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that was the the toughest part. But like I said, I, I am grateful about the time difference. Um, I went to the Maldives earlier um, this year and I, I did a layover in Qatar, but that didn't feel as bad just because I feel like, well, one, it was what the first like was 10 hours mm-hmm. and then the time change wasn't as dramatic. Right. I feel like it really with the Maldives, it got dramatic when so you had the Qatar time and you had the mainland Maldives time and then you have the private island private all the island are on private islands then you have the private time so you actually have like three different clocks you have to listen to okay did, did you stop at did you stop at dave's house in the maldives no <laughs> he, just, he didn't invite me <laughs> I, 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 well you know I, you need to talk to me because you know dave's got houses all over the world <laughs> i'll make up for it and the next time you're taking a really long trip i'll send my private jet for you now, see, that's the kind of friends I need. <laughs> see, you, <go. laughs> you spent two weeks in South Africa. No trip to South Africa is complete unless you learn about Nelson Mandela. Amen. Uh, what, what did you learn? What did you experience? Uh, you know, the, the whole Nelson Mandela history and experience there. Yeah, like our whole trip was following his footsteps. So we started in Johannesburg to see, you know, what his life was there and what he did there. We went through Durban and also went through different monuments there that were key to 
their movement. You learn about their different organizations. I, I was already, I felt he was an inspirational figure just based on what I've learned in our schooling system. But going there to see the impact, it was truly astonishing, like going to the jail he was in and having that um, experience. It showed you how a lot of times, especially in these diaspora conversations, we always have focused on what's different. And it was interesting to see, like, I resonated so much with their story when it came to, you know, fighting for their rights, preserving their cultural traditions under this, you know, regime that was threatening to erase them. And also just the complicated life he had in terms of navigating this. His family's always in danger. They had a lot of setbacks learning. Like, I didn't know much about his life before he went to New jail. You know, I, especially in American movies, we always get to that part because we knew he was in jail for like 27 years. And when he came out, he won the election. But that process to that um, was a journey and it shows it was a journey in standing up for you believe in in the face of just complete and other just tyranny just because of what they were doing to them and learning about that history being there. I'm very grateful for it, like to to just understand it. it. When I left South Africa, I had a deeper understanding. Because I think in America, we, we see surface level. We just see apartheid and we're like, oh, it's like, it's just like how it was here. You know, I mean, we got through it. And it's like, they have their own complicated history to it. There's, you know, so many different even cultural things when you learn about the Afrikaans and why they believe that, you know, they should be here. It's, it's way more complicated and nuanced. However, it still shows you, it, to me, it was a story in Black resilience. And honestly, it shows you that we may have these cultural differences, you know what I mean? Like some people may not from, you know, there I may not spend my experience as a Black American. I may not understand their full experience as a Black South African, but I did feel like, like, you know, we still came from this like resilience where what they fought for and what they stood for and even to why that flag is the, the way it is, the rainbow colors, like that was intentional because they did not want to be like, okay, we're in power now. So we're just going to like, you know, storm all the white people. And, and there still is that sentiment, but he really said it. I feel like what I took away the most is he could have incited. I feel like a people to be very angry because they had every right to be angry for the things they were going through, the things that were being taken from them, the treatment, they had every right to be so angry. And instead he, I feel like he, help direct that anger to a place where they were able to move past it, but also become a more unified nation. Whereas that flag is multiple colors because it represents the multiple cultures that make South Africa. So like I always tell someone like really take the time to learn about him when you're there, because it will teach you about South Africa and it will teach you about this culture. This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacation a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. What did you take away from that experience in terms of resilience and compassion, forgiveness? I would say compassion, well, excuse me, I would say forgiveness is not always about the other person. It's about you. And I feel like the reason why he even went on to be so focused on unifying because of that anger, that anger can, can just, you know, it rots you from the inside. Did you get a chance to visit any of the national parks or the reserves? And what was that experience like? Yes. So my first safari experience was actually um, just off of Durban. It was uh, two, three hours out in I can't remember the name at the moment. I'm sorry. It started with a P, but <laughs> it was known for having like um, their wildlife reserves and safari experiences. And it was definitely one of the most memorable experiences I had. Um, you, ha I always tell someone just definitely do a safari experience while you're out there. It's amazing. They have 
different lounges, uh, lodges that you can stay at, you know, from, I would say various levels. They have the, you know, super high end ones where you can kind of make it a glamping experience. And then they have ones that are a little more reasonable in price, but the not, there's a definitely a, a beautiful, like a really great natural beauty there. And it's like, you, you got to do a safari when you're in South Africa, definitely. What animals did you see? So in my safari, we had, because um, I categorized with the big four, the only thing we didn't see was lions. That was the only one that um, they said they didn't have because, and this was a, a weird turn that they, a weird little note that they gave us. They had leopards, I believe, but they said, and they're like, oh, great. And they're like, yeah, but you don't want to see the leopard. And we're like, why? They're like, well, when you see a leopard, that means it's probably about to kill you. So we try oh, to avoid the leopards because they don't come out unless they're planning to attack. I'm like, well, well, you know, they can stay home. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we saw everything else. Maybe you can explain this to me. I see these safaris and people are driving open top vehicles and they're driving next to lions or, you know, or, or tigers. I'm like, what if one of these things get crazy and just just jump in and grab someone and keeps running? Yeah, so I had this, you know, idea of what I thought a safari was going to be. And I realized when I got into that Jeep, I didn't put really two and two together about how close these animals were going to be. And I'm still very much a city girl. So I was just like, oh, wait, this is a little this is a little too close. I missed that plexiglass. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, There was a really, really memorable point um, on our safari track where we kind of were riding and then we kind of um, ran into these herd of elephants. And it was right um, as the sun was coming down. And it was gorgeous. We kind of had to stop because they kind of just surrounded us at one point. It was just amazing just just to watch them move and just be. But at the same time, it was extremely intimidating because they were, they were on top of us. And it was very, very like, this is nice, but they can flip this car over and that's it. <laughs> like, Did they keep pampers in the Jeep? <laughs> you are slow you you are slow dana you're slow i had to be like uh, i mean they should have because you can <laughs> but no it's definitely something i will recommend but yes it's definitely i definitely didn't think about that part too much <laughs> i just had this thing like you know they're just gonna come and just walk by and it's gonna be great and then i realized like no, we're really at their mercy. Like they, we just had to wait until they decided to leave and just hope they leave. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's crazy. That's crazy. But at least you had that experience. That's a very good. I I would imagine that's a once in a lifetime experience for you. Yeah, it definitely was. I I definitely would like to do it against sea lions just because I do want to see it now all four in person because seeing like the, the giraffes, the elephants, the other wildlife, I would still do it again. Even even with the no plexiglass, I, I would still get in there again and do it for the experience. It was uh, worth it. Oh, OK. Well, we've kept you for over an hour now. I have a couple quick questions left. Um, excluding your trip to Jamaica for Christmas. What's next for you in the travel space? Um, I'm going to Bermuda and St. Martin, actually, on assignment. Oh, no, don't say Bermuda. (laughs) That's where Dave and I met. (laughs) I love Bermuda. It's my second time, so I love um, working with the team over there, so it's always a great time. So I'm supposed to be doing that in another two weeks. Yeah. And then after Thanksgiving, I'm going to St. Martin for a um, food festival. Oh, okay. I, I love I love St. Martin. That's my first time. So I've always heard very good things. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, you, you can literally drive from the, well, you can drive anywhere, but from the Dutch side to the French side, is, it's a small country. It's only mm-hmm. like 32 square miles or something like that. It's very, very small, but it's beautiful. It's a nice country. I love it. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'll be staying on the French side. Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, and you're going to Bermuda. Uh, my uh, my friend, um, can't think of his last name, uh, just took over as the head of tourism in Bermuda. So 
uh, I will email you his name and you can say hello on my behalf because he agreed to be on our podcast and Charles hasn't showed up yet. So I'm gonna have to go get after him, but uh, I'll let you get after him on Dave on my behalf. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. Don't worry. (laughs) All right. Um, lastly, uh, I mentioned in the intro to the show, you were doing a podcast for a while called Love and Passports. Uh, is that coming back? I, I think I saw somewhere you said it was slated for the end of 2021. Yes, honestly, um, the pandemic is really what has been just the delay. So I originally had a, a like a whole team roll up came out when the pandemic first started. Mm-hmm. And I had to just really kind of just put it down for a minute. And then, but the good thing is over that time, we, I just had different ideas. I've been re um, drafting the stories and I recently just got a new team. So we are going to meet about doing a, um, like going into pre-production and then hopefully starting out cross fingers in late January. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little yes. bit about the format of your podcast. Sure. So I wanted to create something that combined my two loves, travel and fiction. And so essentially I write short stories about the countries I went to. It starts with giving the listeners like an overview of like why you should visit this place, what's there to see. But instead of just making like a regular show, I just created a short story that kind of shows all of that, that kind of makes this like immersive experience. Mm -hmm. Like I've really like, audiobooks so I kind of wanted to make it was like I think of it as like a short short story audiobook like into a podcast that's cool I, I actually listened to one of yours this morning so I thought it was really nice how you did it that's why I wanted you to explain how it's done because it's a different take on on um the travel experience with the immersive stuff and kind of the reading of it and things like that I actually like that format a lot you know it kind of gives you a chance to take it in even if you're like sitting around the house doing something else while you're listening you're in a story it's like you're telling a story at the same time that's like reading a novel yeah so that that's actually oh and by the way charles jeffers is the director of uh, tourism in bermuda so you tell him michael bennett said you owe him a phone call i actually uh, i'm sending him a message on my facebook account right now saying where the hell are you Definitely. I definitely send a message. <laughs> yeah, send, send, send a message. Tell him I'm not coming until he comes on my show. Because that, that's actually where Dave and I met. What, 2004? Uh, I don't remember. It's been yeah. so long now, man. Yeah, it has. I, well, I, I, that was the, I think that was, the, I don't know if your trip in, uh, was my first time there or my second time. I, I went there within a year of each other both times. I don't remember which trip uh, was I met Dave It was an investment conference that we met. Yeah, a hotel investment conference. And I'm, I'm not going to tell the story again about how Dave lost his luggage yeah. and stuff like that. He, he, I, I, I had a speaking thing. I was speaking at the conference and Dave couldn't even record me. That's cold. You see, he's beating up on a Caribbean brother. That's okay. That's all right. I've done that before. <laughs> you, you, you were talking about my size 15 shoe earlier. So. <laughs> anyway. I, I did. And then I see that you wrote quite a few articles in uh, Martinique. Mm-hmm. Um, why so? I guess I have to phrase the question correctly. But why so many articles on, on Martinique? Is there a connection to Martinique? Um, it was the first place I wrote about, actually. Um, yeah, but, but you was... wrote quite a few articles on Martinique, right? Well, in the travel world, especially when you do like a standout piece, I people really gravitated to the first piece I did. So I just always got a lot of offers to keep writing about it. I've been a couple of times, honestly, I think three or four now, but I've went around the whole Island. I actually was planning to go back um, when the the pandemic hit, but I had to cancel my tickets, but really it's just, it was the first place I wrote about. And it was the article that, got me the most attention and I okay. still get people to this day like I read your Martinique guide and I love the do you can yeah. you do something like that for us so you know it's, it's very common in our field especially when there's a place that either resonates with especially like writers or like we are just well versed in especially when we created other content on it before like I, I get asked yeah. a lot honestly to do a lot of stuff on Martinique nice 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 writing very good writing thank you yeah, yeah you right. you've You've got me reading all of your articles. Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that could be dangerous. Uh, <laughs> all right, Dana, this is called the shameless plug section of the podcast. Uh, tell us where we can find you, more about you, your stories and all your adventures. If not, I'm going to tell next? us. So I'm going to let you tell me. And what's up next for you? Yeah, that, well, that, well, that part she got covered. But yeah, you need to go on and tell <laughs> us. Tell us the stuff. Sure. So if you want to read any of the stories I publish, um, you can find me at vmonet.com. Fun fact, um, when I started writing fiction, my pen name was vmonet. So that's how I got that name. I am working on books. So next year, I'm hoping to make more announcements about more of the long form projects I got there. I have two fiction projects I'm working on. And my other plug, I don't really have enough, like read my stuff, guys. I write a lot. As my name suggests, Dana writes a lot on Instagram. It's very true. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, you can go to vmonet.com to see my published works. Um, I've had other just uh, things I've been on there. And also more about keep tabs on love and passports. Like I said, we're coming back hopefully tentatively late January, the latest early February. And I'm looking to give an update hopefully before the end of the year. Nice, nice. So it's vmonet. That's the letter V-M-O-N-E-T.com for those of y'all who uh, didn't quite catch all of that. And we will have that posted on our website as well so we can track Dana down because I know mm-hmm. she's going to be writing a lot of stuff for Dave to read. Yes. When I, um, when I reached out to you, I was really impressed in Mexico and South Africa as well. And I gave you an offer to do it in two podcasts. You said, no, I want to do one podcast. So now I'm going to reach out to you to come back and do Mexico and to come back and do Martinique. <laughs> I'm we can definitely talk about it. Uh, you know what? We can, I didn't, as you can see, I'm traveling a lot. So it's just like, I can't, I can't That's do okay. another one, but. Oh no. girl, we, we can hunt you down. We could do a podcast from anywhere in the world. So don't play that game with us. <laughs> we, we interview people in Costa Rica uh, uh, France, hey, we, we'll hunt you down. We did somebody in Portugal during the pandemic. We'll find you. That's right. All right, all right. You don't, you don't gotta do that, but definitely, I would definitely love to come back and talk all Thank Martinique, you. and I can definitely talk lots about Mexico. Oaxaca! Yes. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Dana, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I, I, I know sometimes these things could be time-consuming, especially with all your works and your studies. Good luck with your uh, master's degree. Um, looking forward to reading some more of your works and hearing more of your podcasts as well. This has been fantastic. Again, I've never been to South Africa. I've got a million friends who've been. I've never been. And I don't think Dave's been either. So this was no, actually, uh, you know, illuminating the stuff that you mentioned about Mark, um, uh, Nelson Mandela. I, like I said, I'm a history buff. I read pretty much anything. And I know a lot about Mandela, but you shared some things in this podcast that even uh, I didn't know, which is why you need to go there in person. Mm-hmm. So, again, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I, I know Dave and I uh, uh, share uh the same thing that we really would like to have you back to discuss all them things that they brought up and you sure as hell can't go hide somewhere. We got you. (laughs) (laughs) So that is it for this edition of TripCast 360. Uh, We will see you next Monday for another edition of TripCast 360. And on behalf of my friend Dave Cumberbatch, this is Michael Gordon Bennett saying so long and see you next time. (laughs) 